Some of you might be surprised at the reading that I've chosen for this Easter Sunday. It's not the typical Easter Sunday reading. It's actually about the kingdom of God being opened up, not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's also one of my favourite readings. I've got a few favourite readings, but this is one of them. Um, just because of the way we can see the activity of God unfolding and, and all meshing together in different people's lives and, and all coming together to make, to make one complete picture. I just love this one. So, first of all, we've got Cornelius. Now, Cornelius, he's a Gentile. That means he's a non-Jew. And he's a centurion in the Italian regiment of the Roman army. Now, centurion, they're pretty high up. But... Even though he's not a Jew, he's learned to love the God of the Jews. He's what was known as a God-fearer. That means he believed in God, he feared God, and he tried to do the right thing, but he hadn't yet taken the final steps of being converted to a Jew. And we're told that Cornelius was a devout man. He, He prayed continually, and he was a generous man. It says that he gave alms. And and God honours that. In fact, when the angel spoke to him, he said, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. God honours this. You know, it's become quite fashionable in evangelical circles today to, to say that there's no value at all in good works. Well, that's just simply not true. However, it's often preached in order to, to correct an even worse error. Because we seem to be a people of extremes and so we tend to push one extreme to try and counter another. Because most people in Australian society today have this silly notion that, hey, if I'm a good person then I don't really need to be saved because I'm already good with God. Most people have this idea that it's like a big balancing scale and if if my good deeds are, are pretty high and my bad deeds aren't so bad, if it all balances out in my favour then I'll be good with God. Now that's just a load of rubbish. Um, that's what a lot of people believe, but it's not true. The Bible says no one is righteous. All of us are sinners and so we all need the forgiveness of God, the the forgiveness that we can only find when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour. There is no way to be saved except by receiving the forgiveness of God. But the problem is, to to correct this notion, this, this incorrect notion that good works are going to save us, well, good works tend to be devalued completely. And I think there's there's a great shame in that. Because here is an undeniable truth, and you'll find it as you read your Bible right through. God loves it when people do good. And God hates it when we do evil. Right? That is undeniably true. And the angel said to Cornelius, Your prayers and your alms, your good you know, the, the gifts that you give to the poor, have ascended as a memorial before God. This fellow, he had a good heart. He was a devout man. That he, he prayed often and he did good. And God knew that his heart was ripe for receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Cornelius loved God. He apparently heard about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. And he hadn't put his faith in Jesus. The second character we meet is Peter. 
And Peter's one of the apostles and being one of the apostles, well, you'd expect that this fellow would know all about Jesus and he did. But the thing is, Peter and Cornelius would never come in contact with, with one another because the religious upbringing that, that Peter had 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 taught him to be bigoted against the Gentiles. After all, these are not God's chosen people, these Gentiles. They're the ones that have got our nation into trouble in the past when they bring in their other gods and this, that and the other. And so they'd learnt to, no, no, have absolutely nothing to do with the Gentiles because they'll make you impure. Anyway, an angel comes to Cornelius and says to Cornelius, go and find Peter. Here's his address. He lives at such and such a place. He lives in the house of so-and-so in a house by the sea at Joppa. Now, Joppa, by the way, is, is about 48 kilometres travel from Caesarea, which is where Cornelius lives. So Cornelius sends a couple of servants and one of his soldiers, who, who is also a believer, to go and tell Peter to come. Now, as these messengers are approaching the house of Simon the Tanner, uh, that's the place where Peter was staying, well, Peter has his own dream, or or more so a vision. Peter's hungry. Can can you please prepare me something to eat? And and while they're doing that, he's hungry and he falls asleep. And like a lot of us men, just like Homer Simpson, he dreams about food. Mmm, donuts. Anyway, he's dreaming about food, but the problem is he's dreaming about all of this food he's not allowed to eat. Ever since he was a little child, he's been taught, right, there's some foods that are kosher and some that are not kosher. Right? There's foods that are clean and there are foods that are not clean. And it's okay for you, Peter, to eat the clean foods, but don't you dare touch the other ones. Ooh, don't you ever think of a pork chop. Like that, that's no good at all, or, or prawns or anything like that. They're all just, no, no, no way. Anyway, so he has this dream about all of these foods and then this voice says to him, rise Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no way. I've never eaten anything which is unclean. And he has this same dream three times. Anyway, he wakes up and his mind is all boggled as to what on earth this could possibly mean. And just then the messengers for Cornelius are just about to knock on the door and the Holy Spirit said to Peter, there's three men downstairs. All right? So he's just had this dream three times and now there's the Holy Spirit saying there's three men downstairs. And so he starts going downstairs and then when he arrives there's three men there. And they say, what do you want? And they say, look, we want you to come with us. He says, right, eh? I'll do that. And so the next day they travelled to Caesarea. And when they arrive, Cornelius, he must have been a man of faith, because he'd gathered together all of his friends. He must have calculated, righto, if they get there about then, they'll probably won't leave till the next morning. It means they'll get here about this time. and We don't know. But, but he'd organised and he had all of his friends there. And so Peter turns up and Cornelius has got all of his mates there to hear what Peter's got to say. You know, Cornelius has said, hey, look, this has got to be an important message for us. An angel appeared to me and come and hear what, what this fellow's going to say. Now, I've got to tell you, there are times in my life when so many God things have happened that, that I've known as just definitely not been coincidences. Leaves me in absolutely no doubt that God is doing something marvellous. Has, has anyone else experienced that? Right. Now, these things are not coincidences. They're what I call God incidences. When all of these things just start happening. 
And it seems to me that the more coincidence or the more God incidences that there are, it seems to be the more sure that we can be that God is challenging us to a very new and a very different direction in our lives. And whenever you encounter this, all of these God incidences all just lining up, and when you find that you are sure that, hey, this can only be God that is doing this, you can be sure that God is going to be calling you to a very new and different direction. And it seems to me that the more God incidences there are, this is the more faith building that we receive for the bigger change that God is calling us to. And when you are sure that it is God at work, I just want to say to you, go with God. Don't don't delay it. Don't go finding excuses as to how it could just be coincidences. Don't, don't go finding excuses how, oh no, this could be for somebody else. No, it's for you. All of these God incidences are to give you faith for the new direction that God is calling you to. Look at Peter. Peter had spent years getting taught have nothing to do with Gentiles. What would it take for Peter to change that direction? What would it take for Peter to now go to a Gentile home? It was against everything that he'd been taught. But now there was no doubt the fact that he'd had this dream, this vision of of, of all of these unclean things and and God saying, kill and eat. The the fact that the Holy Spirit said to him, look, there's going to be three fellows downstairs and they want you. That he goes downstairs and there's three fellows there. Then the fact that he turns up at Cornelius' door and Cornelius tells him the story God told me to, to send for you. I mean, all of these things come together. And, and it was just obvious that God was telling Peter, this is a new direction for you. And so Peter was able to say to those Gentiles, he said, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to even associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. And likewise, we've got Cornelius. Cornelius, seeing all of these God incidences all unfolding, he also could have every confidence that this new teaching that he is going to receive about this Jesus of Nazareth was something that was God-ordained. It was something that could be trusted. It was something that was going to be given to him and he should receive. And therefore, he could go with it. It's just a story of just marvellous encounters with God. And I want you to realise that these are the same sorts of encounters that we can have with God today. Now I want you to notice these were both men of prayer and they are both men of devotion. And when we pray and when we devote ourselves to God, we can expect to see similar examples of God at work. But why on earth have I chosen this reading for Easter Sunday? Out of all of the readings I could have chosen, why would I choose this one? I'll tell you why. It's because the message that Peter preached that day is typical of the message that he and the other apostles preached right throughout this book of Acts. And the key message that he preached was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And as we work our way through the book of Acts, I'm hoping that you've already seen it because we've covered a fair bit of it already. The message which keeps getting preached is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yep, sure, they did preach on the death of Jesus too. But there's nothing surprising about somebody dying. There's not a lot life-changing about somebody dying. It was well known that Jesus was crucified. Lots of people die. After all, there's nothing surer than death. But who has ever heard of somebody being raised from the dead? And when you and I are called to faith, we're not simply called to have faith that somebody died for our sins, to forgive us. We're called to believe in someone who is living. We're not just called to remember a dead man. We're called to believe in and know and have relationship with this Jesus Christ who is raised from the dead and to believe that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. We're called to believe that this Jesus who is coming again, this living Jesus, that it is by him that our sins are forgiven and we gain life. So what did Peter preach that day? Well, there were some things that he touched on and there were some things that he concentrated on. And of course, depending on, on the audience that you're preaching to, um, it will depend on which, which message you concentrate on. But this is what he preached on that day. Firstly, he preached that there was no partiality with God. He said, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to God. Now, it's important that we get that whole sentence. Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to God. We live in a nation who who feel anyone who does what is right is acceptable to God. No, 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 no. It's anyone who fears him who believes in him, who makes him number one, who knows that he is their Lord and does what is right, is acceptable to God. Now, it doesn't matter what your upbringing is. It doesn't matter what your nationality is, your race, the colour of your skin. It doesn't matter whether you're an employer or an employee or an unemployed. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, educated or uneducated, city or country. None of that matters. God examines the heart. And God's looking for hearts that are open to him. Secondly, he proclaimed the anointing of Jesus Christ with the power of God. He said, God appointed Jesus of Nazareth, sorry, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Now that means Jesus is unique. He's the chosen one. He's the anointed one. He is the one appointed by God and we can trust in him. The whole point of all of the miracles that Jesus performed was not just to to do good stuff. This was proof that he was the anointed one. He was the chosen one. See, Cornelius had begun to know God, but God has revealed himself more fully in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if Cornelius wanted to get to know God better, then Cornelius needed to get to know Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the anointed one. He's the chosen one. Thirdly, he touched on the works that Jesus did during his ministry years. Jesus did good and he undid evil. 
he undid the oppression of the devil. And then he touched on the death of Jesus. All he said was they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. That's all Peter had to say about the crucifixion of Jesus. But Jesus did not stay dead. And in proclaiming the resurrection, well, this is where Peter concentrates his efforts. He says, God raised him on the third day. God made him to appear, not to everybody, but just to to those who had been chosen by God to be his witnesses. And that's why we have so much of of the resurrection of Christ being preached, because these people were chosen to be witnesses. And what do witnesses do? They tell they, they, they witness, they say, this is what I saw. We saw Jesus raised. And that's why the resurrection of Christ is just preached right throughout the book of Acts. And then Jesus said to these witnesses, sorry, with these witnesses he ate and drank with them after he'd raised from the dead. Right? Now there's no doubt about it, Jesus was alive. Uh, ghosts don't go and eat your tucker, do they? Jesus was alive. And then the risen Lord Jesus commanded his witnesses to preach and to testify two things. So Peter was very specific about the resurrection. And so, sixthly, as commanded, they preached that this risen Jesus has been appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. And also, as commanded, they preached that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ receives forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Then those who believed were filled with the Holy Spirit and so Peter said, right, well we'd better baptise you. And they're baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, that's what Peter preached. And on this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, why is it important that Jesus was raised from the dead? What difference does it make? Well, it was after Jesus' resurrection that he said to the disciples that they need that to his chosen witnesses, he commanded them two things that they were to preach. A, that he had been appointed by God to judge the living and the dead, and B, that those who believe in him receive forgiveness of sins in his name. And if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead then neither of those two things would be true. It wouldn't be true that he was coming back to judge the living and the dead. It wouldn't be true that we would receive forgiveness in his name. Or why would we even need to if he wasn't coming back to judge the living and the dead? But the thing is, Jesus was raised from the dead and so both those things are true. Jesus is coming back and we can find forgiveness in his name. So we must take notice of them. Easter time is a time of enormous hope for those who believe in Jesus because when we believe, we're forgiven. And when we believe, we're ready and we're prepared for his return, for when he comes as judge. But that should also be a bit of a flag for us that this actually presents a bit of a problem for those who don't believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, well, Easter Sunday isn't a day of celebration for you. It's a day of despair. Because the resurrection is a sign that Jesus has been appointed as judge. 
and only those who believe in him are prepared for it, for the day that he comes back as judge. In the 1880s, German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche pronounced, God is dead. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? And believe it or not, some people find a lot of security in that statement. See, if, if I was to go through life with the view that God is dead, then that means that I'm not accountable to anyone, am I, if there is no God? But one witty bumper sticker says it all. Robin? God is dead. Nisky, 1883. Nisky is dead. God. 1900. Because one thing is for sure, Nisky is dead. He died a madman at the age of 55. He went insane. And he died at the age of 55. And the second thing's for sure, God's not dead. He's surely alive. And that means we are accountable to someone. We're accountable to the same living God who saves us, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not only those who believe in Jesus who are accountable to him. It's not only those who believe in Jesus who are going to be judged. Jesus doesn't simply go away if we just ignore him. Jesus said that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And so the message that Peter preached that day are the words of life. Because yes, Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead, but before he comes as judge, he comes as saviour. Does anyone here know Jesus as their saviour? It's good to know, six of you do, great. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Let me tell you something. On the day that Jesus comes as judge, you don't want to meet Jesus as judge unless you already know him as saviour. Happy Easter everyone. Jesus is risen and today I pray that you'll rejoice in the forgiveness that he's given you. Pray that you'll rejoice in the life of Christ, that you'll rejoice in the life that he's given you and that you'll rejoice that he's coming back again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we just want to thank you for the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that he died for our sins. Lord, I thank you also, Lord, that he was raised back to life, conquering sin and death, so that all those who believe in him, so that we who believe in him, Lord, will have everlasting life, that we can be forgiven of our sins and be made pure and holy in your sight. Lord God, we just want to pray also for for our friends and relatives, our families, our neighbours, Lord, who do not know you. For those who go through life not fearing God. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move in their lives. Lord, we pray that you would also give us a boldness to proclaim the resurrection as those disciples did years ago. 
Lord, may we always be proclaiming the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus lives, that Jesus is coming back again to judge the living and the dead. Give us also, Lord, the words of life to proclaim Jesus saves. Believe in him and be saved. In the name of the risen Christ.